On this episode of Sega Talk, we dive right back into the conspiracy world of The Conduit. This time without the and the number two. We talk about the gameplay changes, additions, and dive deep into conspiracies that shape the game. All this and more on Sega Talk. Sagabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's not? Hello and welcome to this episode of Sega Talk. I'm your host, George, and with me, like always, is Barry. Hey, Buddy, how's it going? And I brought my friend with me. Hey, everybody, it's me, Ray the Squirrel. Can't <laughs> wait to talk about today's game. I'm pretty sure Ray the Squirrel does not sound anything like that. Well, like, well, he doesn't have so a voice. I saw that there's that puppet who does like those terrible gaming videos, that blue puppet. Right. And I'm like, what? Well, we got to get in on that. So it's going to be me and Ray from here on out, 2023. Barry, George, and Ray. What do you think? I don't know if I we need another person on the especially right, I'll set him down. Yeah, let's make him a silent character maybe for now, maybe. Okay. So, usually we don't talk about episodes like The Conduit 2. Um we probably would never would have covered a high voltage game. I think we probably would have covered one. I think there's some interesting bits in the history of Sega during that time that we probably would have eventually covered. But this episode is picked by people like you, right? Is that a PBS? Like me. Yeah, like you. Um, <laughs> I'll let you do the Patreon plug, Barry. You're better at yeah. it. So this episode is a Patreon pick, which what that means is that if you support us on Patreon at a certain tier, you get to tell us what we cover. And this year we've done, what, we do like two episodes a month. We do an episode every other week, so... Um, I think we've done like cl- probably over 24 episodes, and of those, I gotta say, probably 22 of them were Patreon picks. I, I can't really think of that many that we picked ourselves, which is really awesome. So we have a very dedicated squad of Patreon pickers, and I should do a shout out first to a new Patreon picker who just joined up uh, today. It is Servant, aka Aaron. So I will DM all the details for how to pick episodes to Servant, so maybe we'll be seeing something from him uh, in 2023. Uh, this episode, though, it's our last Patreon pick for the year, and it is from our good friend, Bobbert. And Bobbert says, Conduit 2 is pretty much the same quality as the first game with slight upgrades and changes in gameplay, better locations, and standard controller options. The only big negatives I can think of are the boss battles not working very well, the new character Andromeda, who only is part of the story, is to be awakened by Michael Ford. Uh, move a couple feet to the front and stand in that spot for the rest of the game. Overall, if you like the first game, you'll probably like the second as well. The story is the biggest change compared to the first game. Instead of being serious and straightforward, it's more comedic and playful. And the voice actors change too at the role of Michael Ford, played by John St. John, the voice of Big the Cat in Sonic Adventure, and of course Duke Nukem, which I believe Duke Nukem forever, um, around the same time. The most memorable part of the story is the end, 
and I'm sure George and Barry will talk about later in the video, but all I'm going to say is that I wish there was a third installment just to see how crazy it will get. Thank you, Sagabits, for taking my odd request in all of 2022, especially the high-voltage software games, Conduit 1 and 2 and Tournament of Legends. Have a happy holiday, and looking forward to 2023. So yeah, if you are the picker, you get your memories read at the front, but we're going to be reading everyone else's memories at the back as long, as long as they leave some before the episode ends recording. Because honestly, not many people had memories of this game. Are you, I, are you surprised? No. No, not at all. I don't have any memories of this game. Yeah, you do, because this is the part where we talk about our memories of the game. So you have to have something, <laughs> right? Okay, I'll have something. Don't worry. You you talk, and then I'll make something up. So this, I, I remember, uh, did I, re I didn't review this game, but I got sent a review copy. I'm pretty sure somebody else on staff did review the game for the website. Um, I do remember, I don't know, I, I there's... So the ending for the game is really the most epic part of the game. Like, if the game's chapters, each chapter ended at such a high point that the end of the game ended, I think this game would have been more well-received because of how bonkers the ending is. Um, mm -hmm. The first most notable thing I've noticed about this game is how much they changed everything about the first game. It's like... They were, I don't know, I wouldn't say ashamed, but they they definitely took the feedback seriously, and they thought that if they changed all these things, that it would lead to a more successful sequel. But I think the problem with sequels is that mostly it's the, once you have one taste, it's kind of hard to come back and have seconds. And uh, I think that was a part with this game, but also some of the stuff that was really bad at the first game wasn't always fixed in this. They just like added more stuff it's like sonic 06 but now you have uh nine playable characters this time around you know <laughs> it's like it's not really gonna right. fix it but um so what do you uh what what are you gonna say for your memories well i mean as you as i said i don't really have any memories of this game because i didn't play it i didn't own it um but you did mention that Sagabits did have a review and you're right uh it was reviewed in september 2011 by knuckles old staff writer Knuckles, and he wrote a very lengthy review. You can check it out on the site. And he ended up giving it a C-. Um, Seems about right. So he's pretty down on it. But, you know, you, you bring up sequels, and yeah, it, it's like with movies, sequels aren't always great. But with video games, more often than not, the sequel outdoes the original. Because, in the you know, with games, if the first game is good, then the second game, they really should learn from the you know downsides of the first game or make adjustments or make new additions like the classic is Sonic 2. Right. It's probably one of the best sequels in video game history in my opinion like the way it elevated everything the the sales alone tails being playable like even Mario wasn't able to outdo Sonic 2 in its Super Mario Brothers 2 sequel. Right. I mean so Conduit 2, you know, the first game, it had its its ups and downs, but overall I thought it was a decent game. So, yeah, like, how could they mess up here? Just take what works and, and improve it. But I get, maybe that didn't happen. I'm looking forward to talking about it. So, Conduit 2 is a 2011 first-person shooter video game exclusively but for the Wii, developed by High Voltage uh, Software, and is obviously the sequel of The Conduit. Um, 
Unsurprisingly, development for the Conduit 2 started the day the Conduit shipped on June 2009, while the game wasn't announced until March 29, 2010, so it was kept in secret. If you watch our Sega Talk number 91, we talked uh, a lot about High Voltage's in-house engine, so that was the first Conduit episode, called Quantum 3. This game, a lot of the development of this is basically about the engine, sadly, which we already covered in the last episode. So definitely, if you care about engines, watch that one. But uh, during, so during the, the first game, the biggest excuse for it being rushed out the door was that half the team was dedicated to making the Quantum 3 engine, while the other half was focused on making the actual game. This time around, though... The team said they were fully prepared to just develop the game and work 100% on that since the engine was already out. And uh, the first big change, and you'll be seeing a lot of changes in this game. Like I said in the beginning, it felt like they really wanted to turn it around. So they changed almost, I think, a lot of things. So first big change was the name. The Conduit became just Conduit 2. The studio dropped The from the, the name, according to Joss Olsen from... Uh, high voltage software. The Conduit 2, uh, the got too, a bit clunky, too much of a <laughs> mouthful, and we always refer to it as Conduit 2 internally. It flows better and just kind of stuck. Uh, what is your opinion on dropping the from the title? And I mean, would you care if the House of the Dead finally dropped the from the beginning? Did it? I swear there's got to be a House of the Dead game that doesn't have the. I wonder, um, too. I'm sure there is, right? Like, there has to be, right? Right. There must be. But, yeah, it's it's an odd thing that I've seen in movies and video games. Like, most famously, The Suicide Squad, which released and is a sequel, whereas here they drop the the. What's so odd, though, is most people are going to call this The Conduit 2, not just because they... they know the name of the first game but i kind of disagree i don't think it flows better i don't think it rolls off the tongue better because i like, think a lot, a lot of people still call it the conduit too when they talk about it right because this is not like a situation with halo where halo was the first game and we're going to call it halo no one's calling it the halo right but if you're going to call the first game the conduit and then you're making a sequel called conduit 2 people are going to say oh did you play the conduit 2 they're not going to i don't know i it's a minor thing, but it did it did catch my eye when I was making, well, when I made the graphics for this game because I was like, wait, it's episode one hundred and nine, Conduit two. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's weird. I mean, I, the thing is, and I think the reason they do this is it's a gr- it's a good way to make a new title, but not make it that much different from the first. Plus, when you are doing categorizing or alphabetical listing the is never used you know what i mean so if Mm. this is going to go on the shelf it's still going to be in the c's so i don't know (laughs) it's weird yeah it's just like changes that don't need to be changed like also one well we'll talk about when we look at the box art for the game because i was going to talk about the logo but it's on the box art uh part of the notes but uh high voltage also, uh, also took feedback really, really seriously from the first game. Uh, one of the, their biggest claim to fame's online and got them really good will from fans was that they always went on forums. I remember, I think they were on the Sega forums too, asking what was your 
issues with the first game? What do you want to see change? And of course, uh, gamers flocked to them and offered a bunch of suggestions. Uh, they did add stuff like split screen mode, sniper rifles, mm. and a female characters uh, due to fan demand because. I don't think that the first game even had a female character. Maybe, like, even prominently, like, I don't remember it. <laughs> I can't even think of it, so... Uh, while yeah. it's usually smart to listen to hardcore fans for a sequel, is there any fan base that you probably wouldn't want too much feedback from? <laughs> yeah, the Sonic fan base. Really? Um, I know, mean, we, I agree, because of... they're all over yeah. the place. And we came out of Sonic Frontiers. The game was well-received by fans, I would say. But now social media is getting into this weird cycle where people are, like, nitpicking Ian Flynn. Well, it's... Here's the thing. I don't even say think it's Ian Flynn's writing. Like, I honestly think Sega came to him and said, hey, you need incidental stuff for Sonic to talk about throughout the stages. And he's like, okay, well, what's more interesting? Sonic just going, wow, look at that waterfall. Or Sonic going... Hey, this waterfall reminds me of the ones at the Mystic Ruins. Like, there's more to that sort of dialogue than Sonic just saying, "Oh, the grass is really green," you know. <laughs> um, but I agree. because of that, people online are now like, "Oh, there's too many references." And imagine if Sega's like, "Oh boy, too many references." All right, the next Sonic game will have no references to past games. <laughs> like, right? I, we, you know, and so I, I think that's the. I think that is the worst fan base, just because, like you said, like there's a lot of opinions, but I think the problem is the loudest opinions are the wrong opinions. Right. Like, Sonic has too many friends. Well, yeah, but the whole fun of Sonic's friends are that they're different play styles. Right. You know, <laughs> like like I brought Ray here. He he does cool like Mario gliding in in Sonic Mania. Like it's awesome. And I think no but. one's ever going to, like, come to a conclusion of what's the perfect amount of uh, fan service and what's too much. Because, like... Oh, yeah. At the same time, people are mocking the game for feeling too empty. But it's like, wouldn't you just complain about the fan service? Like, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if, if the world was had more fan service on it? I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's weird because I, that one of my biggest issues is just that the world feels like it's disconnected from the other world. And the fact that Ian Flint actually took time to write and make it feel like it's cohesive to Sonic's world is a complaint. And I'm like, wait, that's not a complaint. That's like, I think that's the best part. I think. Uh, right. And I mean, not that this is Sonic Frontiers Sega right. talk, but like just to say that. Like, but it, it works so well for me is because it's like he feels like he's out of place. This is a strange world. I think it's a much more compelling experience than Sonic Lost World, which when Sonic got to the Lost World, it looked exactly like his own world, complete with checkerboards and buzz bombers and, you know, so it's, I, I think the best fans to listen to are the ones that you're like, maybe paying to be testers you know, right. like focus groups, like that's a lot more helpful than listening to social media. Now, I don't know what was going on back in the day in 2011. Like, who, what sort of fans of the conduit were high voltage listening to? Who was out there? Because I don't remember many people talking about this game. Do you? Um, I remember. I remember it getting initial hype because it was a Wii first person shooter, and I feel like for a while, any hardcore people that were hardcore into Nintendo. And they were in the moms that were buying Wii Fit 
wanted hardcore games on the Wii. Like, they wanted FPS games. They wanted to be able to tell PS3 gamers, look what I got. I got our own Halo. So the, this game was pushed around, and I, I really think that the feedback probably came from Nintendo fans themselves. Because uh, I feel like there was more Nintendo fans that played the Conduit than actual Sega fans that would play Sega games in the past, right? Like, right. the Dreamcast owner wasn't going to buy the Conduit. They were going to go buy the other Sony game or whatever, right? So th that's what I think. As far as fan bases not to listen to, I don't know. Probably every fan base, no. But <laughs> hot take, though, probably the Virtual Fighter fan base because they're the most, like... I don't know, strictest, purest fan base of all time, and that franchise needs something else that is not pure. Like, people don't care about gameplay in mainstream, and if you want to make it a franchise, you're going to have to be open to new ideas and new th innovations in gaming that right. the original Yeah, I mean, to talk have. about... Right. Like to talk about that, like for for me, if I were to see a new virtual fighter, one of the things I think w would really be a must have is to flesh the characters out more, give it more of a story, and maybe even go the Street Fighter route and give it like a little overworld hub, you know, something like that, just to give it a little more to it. Because right. as much as I love Virtua Fighter as being just a pure fighter, like you, you got to do that. But I'm I'm certain that the hardcore Virtua Fighter fan base are like, no, it must just be here's the fighters, here's their styles, and it's a pure fighter. But it's like we've done that for six games or five right. games and all these revisions. Like yeah, and I, I hosted that um, Shenmue voice actor panel a few weeks ago, and when I brought up um, Jackie and Akira Bryant with the voice actors on stage, like there was so much. Backstory and like behind the scenes stories of them being like buddies and like, um, you know, like siblings off screen. And it's like that would really be awesome to shine through in the game itself more, you know, to see them right. interact, see cutscenes with Jackie and Sarah. They don't really interact in the game, no, nope. outside of fighting each other, <laughs> right? So, I, I agree, and I think, uh, I think it's something that they need to rethink is the content and make it a console uh well make it console in their mind right because like the idea of an arcade fighting game is like it's not a thing anymore like like sadly that's not how it is they don't even own a management business you could make it an arcade game but you also have to think about the console gamer in mind yeah maybe like a free-to-play console title and then down the line you release a disc release with all the dlc Something like that. Yeah, that could be interesting. We're like, don't listen to uh, fans, and now we're here being fans and giving them advice. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't right. listen to us. Actually, do whatever you want. Whatever you do, we'll we'll play it, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> right. So if you did have to ask a developer of any game in the world, it could be a game that came out 100 years ago, well, maybe 40 years ago, um, what would your request for that developer be to add to that game? Oh, boy. If you if a game developer asks you to one request their next game and they would do it right they have to it's a genie. Well, I'd have to you know a, because I'm a big Sonic fan. I would probably ask Sonic Team for their next game if they're going with the open zone concept to have the tornado be completely playable and and you could fly it to anywhere in the world map. Mm. And I'd ask them to make a side game of being able to upgrade it and give it parts and maybe even new paint jobs and things like bring in 
concepts from Team Sonic Racing with the race cars, but mm-hmm. allow you to apply it to the tornado. I think that would be really cool. And, yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good idea. I'm surprised they never expanded on the tornado, but not to get too much ahead because these questions are, like, not even the conduit related, but <laughs> if I, if, obviously if I had to, it would be uh, make Amy, classic Amy, playable in a Sonic game because it's weird that they have almost everyone, but Amy never gets to be playable in classic, like in a classic setting. So that'd be cool. Good. So Good back one. back to the the conduit. Uh, while we will get into the story of the game in a bit, recapping the first game story for most people that never listened to the first episode and are not familiar with the franchise. But uh, so let's talk about the story a little bit, just the writers behind it. So this time, High Voltage actually hired novelist uh, named Matt Forbeck. Have you heard of him? And no. Jason Blair. Um, so who they both wrote uh, the scripts for Borderlands and Prey. Um, but Jason didn't have a Wikipedia article, but Matt did. For I guess he he's really big into uh, using other franchises, so he's known for doing the novelizations for the Minecraft dungeons, Halo New Blood, the D and D novels, the Warhammer's Blood Bowl books, which is like a football book, literally. Like in Warhammer, there's like orcs that play football, and they have they all die in the end of the game, so. And he wrote books based on that. And uh, and even Star Wars, he did the Rogue One Jr. novel. I don't know if you heard of that one. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. That's interesting. I don't I don't have that one. Mm. I don't have many of the Jr. novels, but um, I'll have to check that out. That's interesting. Uh, so I'll be honest, uh, I, 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 as a person that played both games, I'm surprised they actually hired professional writers for this sequel. Um, I'm surprised they needed it, to be honest, because it's so wacky and out there, and it's not that deep of a story. So what is your opinion on, on the idea of changing writers in a sequel with an already uh, established story and cliffhanger in the end of a game? Like, it's kind of like, I don't know, A Force Awakens, I guess. We were just talking about Star Wars. The sequel was totally different staff and writers, right? Like, there, there's always right. this weird, like, dynamic where... The, the new people coming in want to change things. Like, what's your opinion on that? I, I feel like, at least in this case, it seemed like um, High Voltage probably wasn't satisfied with the Conduit, and they were hoping Conduit 2 would be a soft reboot. And, you know, people it would catch on more. More people would play it, and they'd forget about the first one, possibly. Right. I think so. Um, they were probably also probably assembling what they saw as a more competent team of um, creatives behind the scenes that could like flush it out into a bigger franchise. The problem is, is that like this is a Wii, a third-party Wii game that is not going to continue on past the Wii. Like right. if 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 let's say there was a Conduit Three, it wouldn't have been on the Wii. It probably would have been on Xbox or PlayStation. And by that point, that's where the big boys are. And I don't think Conduit can compete with those types of games. So it's almost like, you know, like PlayStation has more than enough Naughty Dog type games. Now imagine a Naughty Naughty Dog-like game that existed on a Nintendo platform in the past suddenly moves to PlayStation. Like, is anyone going to play it? That's actually um, that Oceanhorn game. Remember that? It looks like Breath of the Wild, but it was on um, uh, smartphones. And then they ported it to Switch, and that always baffled me because I'm like, oh, cool, more people can play it, but Switch has Breath of the Wild. 
Like, why are you going to play a game that was trying to be Breath of the Wild on on smartphones? Right. It, yeah. <laughs> on the Switch. Yeah, it, it, it's super weird, and I, I agree. It was like a niche in time where they 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 perfectly had a door open on the Wii where they're like, no one wants to make FPS games on Wii, right? Like, not dedicated F- Wii games, right? There was a few. Right. There was a few, but there wasn't like a franchise for them to be like, this is our Halo. And they, they thought maybe we could come in and do it, and I, it, it's just hard to like... Anytime when you are trying to aim to be a Halo killer, I've noticed in history, you are yeah. not a Halo killer. You are just another game that people forget. There's like, I'm sure if we look in the past, there would be like four or five other games that used to be on magazine covers called Halo Killers, right? Like, there was that Hive game. Right. There was that uh, Killzone. Mean, the Wii was really a, a you know a cash grab for a lot of companies in a good way because right. it's like it, it was so different in terms of hardware and controls that you had to make games specific to the console, mm-hmm. um, which is which was so rare because it's usually the case with portables. Um, I mean, a- as you saw later in the Wii's lifespan, you would, you would see games on Xbox and PlayStation or you would see games on... Uh, PSP and Wii. Like, a lot of times the PSP version was also the Wii version. So it's it's strange that the Wii kind of existed in that quasi-portable realm when the Switch now has that role. Right. And I think the Switch is now similar, maybe, but different, just in that because the hardware itself is held back, that there are developers making games that either can't run on the switch so they make it a switch exclusive and in that case i think a conduit could do well on the switch i guess if it came back but there's enough first person shooters on the switch (laughs) so it's it's like i don't know what they were trying to do with this if you were really trying to turn this into a franchise i don't know how much life they thought that we had maybe they were banking on nintendo making a wii 2 that was still very motion control heavy, which and, they kind of did with the Wii U. But. And they and they like totally abandoned now, isn't that like? I mean, can we all agree now, right? Now that it's been ten years, the Wii did not really change gaming like the way it thought it was going to change. Do you... Okay, yeah, I agree there. It didn't change it the way it thought it would. It definitely did change gaming, but yes. I remember when the Switch was debuted and people were they were making such a huge deal about oh, it's like. Ice cubes. Remember, they were doing right. that demo of ice cubes, and they never use. No, I don't even. I don't even think of the Joy Cons what they can do. I have them right here, and I've never experienced anything amazing from them. Uh, I agree. I think, you know, it's just kind of crazy that they how they sold those things as like next gen haptic feedback shit, and they don't do anything. They feel like I turn them off a lot of the times because most games when they have rumble support, it feels like a mobile phone going off. I do, it's the weakest rumble. I, I do think that this is like part of uh, advertising, advertising like Apple in a way where they have like a feature where it's not the biggest feature in the world. It ain't going to change the world, but they'll put a whole ad around it. And it's cool right. sounding on the ad that you hear your parents or someone going, did you hear about the island thing? And you're like, what? And then and they're all into it or the idea of sharing your audio to other headbutts on the same device. 
If you have mm. two, I, you know, th- that's on the get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's on every phone. But I they think in that so case. Good. Right. I think in that case, though, it's great because the device does so many things. Right. That even if you're not going to use everything, like sometimes it's a huge problem solver because you're like on a flight and you're like, ah, oh, I gave my phone to my kid. Now my wife and. Wife doesn't have her phone. Oh, wait, we can watch a movie together by tethering her headphones to mine. Like, it's not something you do all the time, but if you did it a handful of times during the, you know, your ownership of the device, it's great. But, yeah, with the Wii, it's like motion controls kind of came and went. They didn't even carry over with the Switch, really. Um, They're there, but they're not utilized in any way compared to how they were, even with the Wii U. I think the Wii U at least tried to continue that. Like, they made the Wiimote still necessary right. or, and relevant. Right. And then, like, Connect went away, and then uh, PlayStation Move is not a thing. They have the VR aspect of it, but, like, the move, the idea of just playing Wii-like games on the, on the PlayStation 5 is not a thing, right? So Right. And even VR is kind of struggling, I think. It's weird because they're still announcing stuff. I do think there's a future for VR. I just don't think it's anytime soon, at least mainstream soon. Like, you would have to, like, in my opinion, just be able to buy the headset and nothing else and have really good graphics and then not be big and ugly on your head. Right. I, personally, right. I think that the future is actually AR, but that's not. this is not about this episode. So let's talk about... Um, let's talk about, uh, the voice cast for this game. I just gave you a, a link to a, a page mm. called Behind the Actors. You could see that there is not that many characters in this game. <laughs> like, literally a few. And even then, it's like Michael Ford doesn't even look like Michael Ford from the other game. He's in the suit. He looks like some Chaos Marine, s- s- evil Superman, weird thing. Oh, my God. And yeah. So, early in de- into development... High Voltage confirmed that that it were it wasn't going to have all the returning voice cast from the first games, but that the new ones have done a fantastic job making our characters come to life. In the end, even the main character, Agent Michael Ford, re- was replaced. Uh, I think the original was Mark uh, Shepard, and they got John St. John, like we talked about. He's the guy that does the incredible voice work of... Big the Cat, one of the best characters in Sonic franchise history. And a, a little character called Duke, Duke Nukem. I've never... I don't know. Is that a popular game? Duke Nukem? Duke, Duke, Mook, Duke, Duke Nukem. Nukem. Also, Prometheus... Uh, no, the Prometheus is not the ball. It's the, No, I know. It is the ball. The ball from the first game. Uh, they fired the original actor of Kevin Sorbo, a.k.a. 90s Hercules, and they got... Sam Omari? I don't know how you say his name. But Kevin Sorbo is an idiot. I hate that guy. So I'm glad he got fired. You want me to tell you something, George? Did you meet him? Is he Wait, is he related to you? Please don't tell me he's related. Yeah. Okay. God. All right. I'm out. Podcast done. <laughs> no, go on. No, there's some relation there. I'll have to ask my grandma. Oh, my but... God. You're... <sighs> Fight him. I, I don't know, man. Something about him. He's an like, idiot, though. Yeah, yeah he, he is, is an, idiot. an idiot. Okay, good. I'm glad we were in agreement on that. Also, <laughs> oddly enough, uh, Ben Savage of Boy Meets World fame did voices for enemies. I mean, it's kind of like a fall from grace, right? Going like being a leading man of your own show, 
even if it is on ABC, to voicing enemies in Conduit 2. He came back for Girl Meets World, though. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he came back for a new series. So. I mean, I would give him credit credit for that, but why why are you like voicing like how much money you think there is in being bad guy or enemy voices in the video game? <laughs> like I don't I don't know. I can't say. Besides me despising Kevin Sorbo, do you think it's a good sign for the first game that the team not only replaced the writers but also the voice cast? And I heard like I oh, sorry, like I said I think it was a reboot like a soft reboot they were hoping to move the franchise in a different direction but still have it be connected um, yeah so I don't, I don't know Michael Ford uh, like his lines in this are literally Duke Nukem like he literally just phoned in Duke Nukem he's like what's going on here the way that like, Duke Nukem talks and I'm like no why <laughs> why but uh, yeah so, as we talked about the first Conduit uh, game coverage, uh, it supported the We Speak, a USB uh, voice chat device that launched in 2008 by Nintendo. The device was short-lived with only 13 titles using it. According to High Voltage, Conduit 2 was ready to use the We Speak but opted out to support the PDP headbanger headset, which quite honestly should have been the official headset from Nintendo. And should have been packed into every console. I think that was a big mistake by Nintendo. According to High Voltage, it was due bec- it was due to the fact that the uh, PD- PDP headbanger headset, which is a stupid name for it, uh, had uh, lower lat- latency and better sound quality. And I will say that um, I wasn't gonna say. Oh yeah, yeah, dumb name for the headset. But do you think that that was a mistake for Nintendo not to like have a headset? packed into every console since day one yeah that's kind of necessity isn't it i don't know it's xbox was doing that there was a time when xbox 360 was giving you everything you'd open the console up you get a headset you'd get even if it was a cheap one at least they gave you something um it was almost five years before the you know like this so it's like yeah yeah, but now we're going backwards. Now you buy a PlayStation Five, and you'd be lucky to get like a power cord. You know, like so. I, I did the put, way they're working now. I did put a quote here, but it's basically him just saying that the reason they used it was because they had better sound quality, et cetera, et cetera. We already covered it, but he apparently Nintendo did not let you like you had to do audio files or a driver or something to use the Wii Speak. But if you wanted to use a different headset, like the PDP Headbanger headset, you couldn't just support both. You had to support one. I'm, I'm like, what? What kind of development is this? Right, and I, I think going back to our our mention of um, like mobile phone um, and and what they can offer, I think the big difference is that with like smartphones, when they put features in there, it really all is up to the user if they use them or not. Whereas with the Wii and game consoles. They'll put features in there, but it's up to the software developers to utilize them so consumers can use them or not. And, you know, I I think good hardware development, I guess good hardware offers you features that you can apply to any game. Like, for example, um, custom soundtracks with uh, Xbox 360. I think you could do that with any game. 
Right. I think developers had to go out of their way to block you from doing it. And, you know, that's that's kind of the equivalent of being able to listen to music while you play games on your iPhone. Right. Like, it just it just works. And you have to go out, again, you have to go out of your way to, like, block people from doing that. So what I guess is such a shame is that I feel like, and maybe it's not Nintendo-specific, but I feel like they do it a lot, is they'll make these little logos for these little features but then people are like, oh, how many games utilize that RAM expansion pack or we speak? And it would be like, oh, let me check the wiki. Oh, two. You know, like, I, as a kid, I thought the um, Nintendo 64 little expansion pack, I, I never know, owned an N64, but I thought that was amazing. I was like, oh, wow, what does this do? And now I watch videos of the history of N64, and I'm like, oh, it was because, like, they messed up development of like what Donkey Kong or something, so yeah. they just gave it to everyone. Right, like... <laughs> it was packed in because they. they it, I think it used too much RAM and they couldn't fix it. And instead of fixing it, they just gave you a RAM pack to add to the uh, console. But which did hardly anything else for other games. That's the, just the crazy thing. I think the only me, other so. the only other game that used it, but it was on purpose. Was it, maybe Conquer's Bad Fur Day might have used it, but you could play it without it. But it just ran at like really low. Uh, Frame per second, I, I wanted to say. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. But at least with this, we speak like it. Just it would have been really cool to see more games utilize it. Like, okay, the Dreamcast microphone. Like, how many games actually used it? Seaman, and that's about it. But there was a lot of, and by a lot, I mean maybe a half dozen, which is a decent amount of online Dreamcast games where you could do voice chat, and that's right. that's. I think that's good utilization of it. I think people got enough use out of it. Wow. Apparently, right. there might be more than you we think for the Dreamcast. Let me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, some of these are stupid. Like, do you really count the Dream Passport as one? Yeah. Yeah, because that was for um, uh, internet speak, speech. You could talk to people over the internet. There was so there was still more than like even if you don't count the uh, Dream Passports, I think there was thirteen title like actual game titles that supported it. Most of them were Japanese, like Mister Driller. Like I don't know what you would use it for, Mister Driller, but it says it supports it. So all yeah, some of it. them you could record. You could record audio. Um, for example, Death Crimson Two. You could record um, death sounds for enemies. Which was oh, kind of fun. That's pretty cool, actually. Um, but, like, yeah, like, you look at this, and it's like, it's... I think it's enough to warrant the device existing, especially the online chat. I remember playing Alien Front Online for a weekend uh -huh. um, with the microphone. It was so much fun. And, like, that paid for itself for me. I was like, oh, cool, good. <laughs> especially in, like, the 2000s, like, 2001, too. That's not something that it was normal, obviously. Um no. Is there any third-party accessories on a Sega console that you prefer the third-party over the official? Um, boy, that's tough. I'd say, you know what, I think there were some rumble packs that were a lot, had a lot more strength to them. Right. On the, um, on the Dreamcast. I had one that I loved. Um, unfortunately, I think it stopped working because it was... Uh, what they did was it was a four-in-one memory card with a rumble pack. It was like having four four VMUs and the rumble pack, the yeah. jump pack, in one. Right. But I think they put so much shit inside of that 
that I think the rumble pack stopped working after like five or ten years. But hey, it, it worked when I needed it in the prime. Right. Um, it, that was a really good. Yeah. That was a really good one. The that like four or five in one or whatever they used to call it. Uh, <sighs> Those were great. I mean, you didn't have a, a screen, but still. And you know what? There was one that was floating around online that had a screen. People were like, oh my gosh, it's the first third party. VMU because you know no third party had a screen and then someone who owned it goes oh it was plastic screen like it was fake <laughs> oh that yeah <laughs> imagine buying that you're like oh cool it's a four in one memory card with a screen and then you get it home and it's just a plastic square I, I really <laughs> wish that Sega would have made like a VMU but big VMU because uh, some games just took way too many VMU uh, slots like uh, or memory whatever they used to call them, blocks. It was like, um, I think the NFL 2K games, like, took, for career mode, took all the memory cards. So you would need just a football memory card. Fancy Star Online ate up a lot. Shenmue ate up a lot. Jet Set Radio ate up a lot if you made um, graffiti. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So, high voltage also reused and scrapped stages from the first game that were uh, they were working on, uh, uh, but didn't uh, didn't make it out on time. This includes the oil rig stage and the downtown Washington D.C. stage, which a lot of people like. While the game was supposed to come out in early 2011, it was announced on January 2011 that the Conduit 2 was delayed until April 2011, and it did come out on April 19, 2011. Before it came out, though, High Voltage showed off a tech demo of the Conduit 2 running on the 3DS. At oh, G- wow. On GDC 2011, the demo is based off the China level, and uh, it's also it also featured 3D effects and shifted the gameplay from first person to third person. And the only video I, ha- I found online is this really, really short inter- like interview. So there's some footage you could click you could click around it of the game running on the 3DS. Hey this- and it's but mostly it's an interview, so I'll, I'll go around looking through. Hit the ground running, looking for a lot of opportunities. But yeah, it's running on the 3DS. How good is it running? That's cool. Uh, we, you know, we've always typically been a studio that likes to split our time about 50 That looks. That actually doesn't look bad. So, right you know, like you for said, a 3DS game. Now you know what? Right there, like I was saying, like where would this shift to? You know, like where would you make a Conduit 3? I think if they shifted to 3DS and had it be like the make the best you can 3D first-person shooter on the 3DS, that would have been awesome. And with the touch controls, missed opportunity. I I think this is a franchise that should have shifted to 3DS. Right, and it makes sense because like um, I remember, uh, while you know FPS games aren't the greatest on the 3D on the DS, but I do remember playing that Metroid Hunter game, and it was funny because I was go- I was going to like school. And I would have to go to the McDonald's close by, and I would like connect to their Wi-Fi, and then just play the game online, even though I was super terrible at it. Um, I th- I found it to be fun, uh, but I did feel when I was playing it that like using the touchscreen to aim and all that stuff, I felt like I was fighting against myself. Like I can't aim where I want to aim. I have to get better, kind of. But I don't know. Does that make the game good? I don't know. Do you have the video playing still? Oh, yeah. No, I turned it off. Sorry. 
Oh, <laughs> that at one minute twenty seconds, this they're filming this girl playing. And oh, I know. Like, they she, go up to her face, and she like looks at. <laughs> right, like pretty sure she works at. Uh, yeah. She's like, don't film my face. She's like, what? Stop being a creep. Yeah, exactly. Joy from. She's uh, like, I'm not a booth babe. <laughs> uh, I didn't even have the video up when I was st- we were talking about it. But anyway, well, I mean, we have. So, I agree. I think 3DS would have been a good way to uh, transition uh, over to the next step. I think they needed to take like. But I do wonder how well FPS games did on the 3DS or would have done on the 3DS because we didn't really have that many. Can you think of any FPS game on the 3DS that people talked about? I can't off the top of my head. Right. There wasn't like a go-to one where people were like, this is the right. the ultimate. I can think of a lot of fighting games, but right. yeah, not... No. So let's talk... Well, I thought we—I thought I had the. Uh, well, let me see where I put it. At. I guess I didn't put it in here, but we could talk about it now before we get to the next story bit. <laughs> Let's talk about the game cover. So the game got a brand new cover with a all new feel. As you could tell, they redesigned Michael Ford pretty much in a new armor suit with a bad gun, and it had there's flames on the bottom. I guess both had flames, right? Everything about these two covers screams different game, right? Like this other one has the the Conduit one has this '90s aesthetic with these like big glasses. It looks kind of like some of the one of those weird advertisements of cool kids that play Sega games. And then the Conduit logo, and then the Conduit logo on two is totally different. the The color is way more brown and red, less color in it. It's weird. What do you think? For sure. They both look very generic. Right. I think Conduit 2 looks like it's trying to be Halo. 100%. And it just looks so forgettable. Someone posted on Twitter, um, like, like the best games of each decade, and it showed the 2010s, and they all looked the same. It looked brown and orange and gray, and it was just like... It looked like this. Right. And there's just nothing here that stands out, and I think... You see that now, though, with, like, Fortnite, where they're really trying to break out of that look. Right. Like, there's no character in Fortnite that looks like this, no, you know? But, no. uh, yeah, I just feel like they needed to do something different visually in Conduit to really stand out. And this just looks so forgettable. It, it's, it's funny. So forgettable. It's funny that Fortnite is made by the people that literally started this trend, the guys that did Gears of War. I mean, mm-hmm. Epic made Gears of War and they made Fortnite. So it's weird that they're the ones that are also like, hey, look, we're making a cartoon game. And it, like, took off and now everyone's copying them again, right? Because Overwatch and all these games are just trying to be, like, this cutesy, cartoony art style that uh, Fortnite's been trying to popularize. Right. But back in the day, and by the day I mean, like, the 2000s, 2010s, like, when you tried to break out of the usual FPS look, it was a gimmick. Like, Fur Fighters, remember mm. that? It was like a um, a third-person shooter. Uh, like, the whole gimmick was that you were playing stuffed animals. Right. And, you know, like, Conduit doesn't need to go that far, but I just looking at this cover alone, like, if that's your basis for your design of your game, like, 
man. It's I think I doesn't think you... it doesn't scream unique to me at all. Like I look at this and nothing. It doesn't feel Sega. It doesn't even feel high voltage software. It just feels generic. It looks like a a generic smartphone game. If I'm honest, like from China, <laughs> it 100 percent does. It like it really does. And I think you're onto something. I think that was the issue a lot of people had is that they lifted ideas. From a bunch of other games, so it'd be like the all seeing eye could do codex and read stuff. Oh, you mean like the visor in Metroid Prime? Or this character does this. Oh, you mean like this other thing from this other game? And it's like, and it continues and continues, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, there is some originality, I'll give them that. Uh, how ridiculous some of the story bits are. It's like almost like, right. almost feels like it's a comedy sketch. But uh, outside of that, I think it's pretty much trying to copy other games. And that's, I think, where it falls short a bit, in my opinion. So let's talk about the story. I'm going to pretend that no, everyone here does not know what The Conduit is and never heard of it. And I'm going to let the developer catch you up on the story for two. And then you can tell me what you think about it, Barry. Okay. This is a quote from the developer. The Conduit is a tale of an ex-Secret Service agent by the name of Michael Ford. In The Conduit, he is drafted by a shadowy organization known as The Trust. There was a mysterious virus spreading through Washington, D.C., and Ford is tasked by their enigmatic leader, John Adams, which you find out later is the former president, John Adams. Wow, what a good code name. (laughs) At taking down a terrorist known as prometheus who is linked to the virus attack while trying to track down prometheus you come into contact with aliens known as the drudge and the mysterious device called the all-seeing eye ase for short prometheus then hacks into your communication device and convinces you that john adams is the real enemy and that the drudge are Created by the trust, this revelation leads Ford on a quest through Washington, D.C. to track down the evil John Adams. Ford reaches <laughs> Adams' underground bunker, only to discover he's escaped through the conduit. Ford fights off waves of drudge enemies and fears, fearlessly jumps through the conduit. Flash forward to the conduit, too. As Michael Ford steps from the conduit, players find themselves on an oil uh, derrick in the middle of the ocean. They will then have to battle their way across the globe. Players will face an uh, any, I don't think that's the word, an, an even greater alien threat as they chase down atoms. And of course, there are more conspiracies sprinkled in throughout the game. As someone outside of the conduit world, what is your thoughts at the story? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm kind of remembering our our Sega Talk 91 when we talked about the first game. But, yeah, when you tell me all this, none of that lines up with the box art we looked at at all. It does not look like that is Washington. That's a character named Michael Ford. Um, So, yeah, I think the the story is actually very interesting. Um, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, was getting really into um, rewatching The X Files, mm. and that led me down a road to watching Millennium, which I really wanted to watch, but was only available on DVD. And um, so I went out and I bought all three seasons on DVD, which I'm glad I did because they're now like out of print and really hard to get. But if you ever watch Millennium, it's kind of very similar. There's like 
secret organizations. It's like X-Files, but for secret organizations and like, you know, like viruses and, and all these things. In fact, I think Millennium even had a COVID pandemic happen oh. during, like in in the show. So having said all that, like I feel like visually Conduit would look so be so much more intriguing as a game if you actually saw characters in like suits, you know, like like agents and right. stuff. Like go more matrixy with the outfits where they're people holding guns. Like um what's that one game from Sega? Confidential mission. You oh, know like yeah. When you show me Confidential Mission, I immediately get it. I go, oh, this is a uh, light gun game, but James Bond. So if you were to show me Conduit and and give me visuals that make me think, oh, it's a, it's a first-person shooter, X-Files, like, I'd be in 100%, like, even if it's a rip-off of X-Files. Um, but, I mean, I don't mean to shit on the game so much, but just, like, <laughs> it's that fine. story... That story sounds so intriguing to me, but the visuals just don't match it. Yeah. And, and because of that, like, you can, you can tell me the story, but I'm looking at it, I'm like, this looks like a Halo ripoff. Right. I have to agree. And I think the name is also very generic. I think they thought the way Halo thought. Like, Halo has nothing to do with what the actual game is. Like, when you think of the word Halo, before the game came out, you didn't think of a, right. of Green Man shooting people in space. You thought of an angel, right? The halo around an angel. The problem is that game was really good and it defined a generation of games, and this one did not. Right. But I will say, Halo, I know very little about Halo. I'm, I'm someone who only played the first game and only played a portion of it. But I remember the lead-up to Halo, people will, yeah, we would think angels, but then when they started showing us the art, we go, oh, there's a ring, like, there's this ring. Right. Yeah. And it's like a halo. But it right. takes place on it. So just the idea of standing on a planet that's the shape of a ring and you can see the planet winding up this way mm-hmm. and winding up that way with the edges was so Epic. intriguing and right. exciting. And here, Conduit, what is Conduit? I, it's it's a, it, To me, if you told me there's a game called The Conduit, I, I would think it's like a puzzle game to do with electricity. Where you plug yeah, things in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I would think. If it were a steampunk Wii. game or Maybe, something. Maybe, yeah. But, but honestly, if you were to call the game All Seeing Eye or something, oh. I think that would be a lot more intriguing because people know what the All Seeing Eye is. It's that, that pyramid with the eye on it. And that alone is a lot of conspiracy theories, you know, draw on that. So I think if you just took something generic that a lot of like the all-seeing eye or something, I, th- I think that would... Or The Trust. Right. The Trust, that's a good name for a game, a first-person shooter with Washington, D.C., like, conspiracies. Right. Because The Trust, it would be, like, you know, trust in your government, but it could also be, like, a trust, like a group. Right. Um, so... Both are better yeah. names. Missed than... opportunities. Right. Lots of missed opportunities. So... I think we talked about the first episode of The Conduit, uh, episode number 91, how weird it yeah. was that the game played around with these conspiracy theories, uh, especially back then, in the uh, mid in the 2011s. Uh, conspiracies were found on websites, random websites in the middle of nowhere, usually. It wasn't politicized as they are today. They were, they, people right. weren't using them in mainstream media to attack other people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in this game, I think they did a good job kind of making you feel like you were finding these conspiracies because they use the scannable items. Like I said, Metroid Prime does the same thing. But when you're scanning an item, it kind of feels the same way when you went to these websites and you found these weird, like, oh, do you hear this weird conspiracy about pigeons or whatever? They're not real. They charge on the <laughs> telephone wires. And they yeah, kind of yeah. did it the same way. So I thought that was pretty neat that when I played it. so But some of the backstories uses... Uh, I can't even say this, Sumerian religion and big... Um, you said it, yeah. Reptilian conspiracies. Um, I, have you, do you... Barry, what do you know about reptilian conspiracies? Um, well, not... I, I just know that there's this, like, notion that there are people who are, like, half lizard or all lizard mm -hmm. and they're hiding in plain sight. And I know a lot of people draw on... Um, bad old video that was digitized like the early days of digitized video glitching and people claim that that was like reptilians appearing on screen just because like videos would freeze up and cause like oh the uh um, the glitching textures right on skin yeah and um the youtube channel captain disillusion does a great videos about like explaining how videos glitch and why people aren't reptilians <laughs> um but I, I do think it's interesting. I've actually, I, I can't remember what I was listening to, but there was a podcast I was listening to recently. It might have been like uh, NPR or New York Times or something where they were talking about conspiracy theories and how, you know, back in the, the 90s and 2000s, there was a really big focus on conspiracy theories within our media from the matrix to the x-files mm -hmm. but it was all done in kind of a, a fun way it was kind of like everyone's aware of conspiracies they they know they exist but they know that they're not real you know like it's almost it's kind of fun it's right. kind of like going to a haunted house and you know there's not a ghost there but it's fun to think there is oh yeah but um as time went on, I mean, to our present day, people would listen to these conspiracies, but then they'd go down rabbit holes and they'd join communities and then they would be fed much more dangerous conspiracy theories that would involve real people being targeted for things they did Never not do. do right. But, but, right, but people would draw all these like, lines and say, okay, well, this guy is keeping people prisoner in his basement because he's a he's a sex trafficker right and i think i think you know you're not going to see these types of games now because 100. as you mentioned like it's changed so much um which it's it's both a shame but it's also to be expected like looking back at what we were talking about in the 2000s and, and 2010s like it it only makes sense that we, it would lead us to people like thinking mass shootings aren't real you right. know like not to get super real here but like this is a first person shooter right that yeah that largely draws on silly conspiracies yeah. but in the end you're shooting you're shooting stuff in the game right. so it's like man yeah it would be know. a little too hot for today now especially the way that conspiracy yeah. theories have moved so the reptilian thing, you're right. It's about people in power that, uh, well, it's usually people in power. People say they're they they're yeah. our over, overlord or whatever. And to me, I rather than think this than some other more like, at least a reptilian race is not real. 
And they're like, instead of saying, oh, it's because they're this religion or this other thing that's real. It's like, at right. least you're just making a fantasy. Okay, get out of here. I don't really mind the reptilian thing. It's whatever. It's, I mean, I play Warhammer. I play as the reptilians, lizardmen. So maybe I'm a little uh, biased here. But I do think that the cold-blooded, the cold-blooded creatures should rise up and overthrow us warm-blooded <laughs> mammals. Anyway, so other... Agreed. Conspiracies that the game drawed on was the disappearance of uh, Piercy Fawcett. Um, let me mm-hmm. see if I can get the, the Wikipedia article out. So basically, he was a British geographer, artillery officer, cardiographer, archaeologist, and explorer of South America. Fawcett disappeared in 1925 along with his eldest son, Jack, and one of Jack's friends during the expedition to find Z. His name for an ancient lost city, which he and others believed existed in the jungles of Brazil. So I put a little bit of notes on the conspiracy here. So Fossil's Sinknet Ring was found in a pawn shop in 1979. The Observer did a report piece about this in 2004. Uh, After studying uh, Fossil's letters, they believed that he never meant to return from the South American trip and was trying to like start a commune there. Which I kind of believe, to be honest with you. Like, if you explore so much there and love the culture and the ideas and lifestyles, I mean, why wouldn't you just tell your family, all right, me and my son, we're going to go to this uh, jungle and we'll find a city. We'll be back. <laughs> and then you never come back ever again, right? Like, people leave right. their families for for random reasons in real life and they they think they disappeared and, and then they show up one day. Hey, I had another family. I for, totally forgot. That's like um, in... Kong Skull Island with uh, John C. Riley's character. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, considering that uh, map, what, what, what with mapping, satellite, and other technology that has covered most of the seeable Earth, do you think there is some lost city of Z? I probably think he was lying and he was trying to go and join a commune and he created that lie. I. That's probably it. <laughs> it's probably that simple. I agree. And this one I can't even say, so I had to look up the pr- how to pronounce it. Tunguski event, the Tunguski event. I've never heard mm. of this thing before. Before we did these this episode, so it's basically a twelve megaton explosion that occurred near Russia, a river in Russia. I'm not even going to say the name of the river because it's ridiculous. In the morning of June thirtieth, nineteen oh eight. The explosion is generally attributed to a meteor airburst and uh, I guess a stony asteroid that about 160 to 200 feet fell from the sky, destroyed everything. There's a picture here from all the way back then and like all these trees are all laying down flat. And if you look down, there's a, even more. It looks People were saying it's bigger than like a bunch of atom bombs or whatever. So this is part of a... I don't know what the conspiracy behind this is, to be honest with you. I did Google, like, what is the conspiracy, but now Google has censored conspiracy theories because of obvious uh, new uh, people that have weaponized them, sadly. But I did read a little right. bit about... They think that the, the conspiracy theory is that Nikola Tesla did this event with one of his uh, death beams that he was working on or his lasers or whatever, his electri- electronic lasers... And the government sure, sure. and the government covered it up, saying it was actually 
a meteorite or something. So people don't believe it. Uh, do you think it was a meteorite or was it Tesla the whole time? It's Tesla. I agree. He's up to no good. I know. That's why I 100% agree. And that, I mean, I agree. Tesla. I, that's why I'll never buy a Tesla car because of what happened back in 1908. I, I, you know what? I didn't know that uh, Elon Musk was that old. I mean, he looks pretty good. You know, Tesla actually um, died in New York right. City. Right. And he died at the location where a lot of the buses drop you off at the TikTok Diner, which was actually used as a location. I don't know if they actually filmed it, but in Watchmen. Oh, um, the diner in the in the Watchmen movie. There's a TikTok diner that was inspired by a real TikTok diner in New York. Mm. But Nikola Tesla died in the building, like right there. So if you ever are in New York and you're like using the buses, yeah. But there's something there, then, right? Like Watchmen, TikTok diner. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. We you should be writing conspiracy. But that's what people do when there's a conspiracy. They go, well, I don't know though. You know, it's like, well, if you don't is know, it? then you don't know. I don't know. Do your own research, dude. I don't know anything, man. What do I know? I watched enough YouTube videos until someone says something I agreed with. So the next one. That's my research. The next one is a book called Sun Gods in Exile, a book by David Gaiman, Gaiman, who was published in 1978 under a fake name because he didn't want to use his real name allegedly right. from notes of Carl Robbins Evans who he said who was said to be a professor at Oxford University so this guy just found these notes man nobody even knows who this guy is the book tells of a 1947 expedition to Tibet in which the scientists visited a Bayanhar mountains Robin Evans claims that the Dropa, Dropa tribe was of extra, extra terror. I can't even say this word. How do you say this word? Extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial. It's like a, like a mouthful. Alien origin and had crashed yeah. on Earth. The book featured for photographs of a tribe and an alleged Dropa stones. Is that how you would pronounce that? Dropa stones? Dropa, dropa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which contained messages from aliens. Although researchers were unable to locate Carl Robin Evans, the Oxford uh, person that wrote these letters. Wow. Uh, the stones have actually been used a lot in UFO subculture. I don't know if there's any X-Files episodes about it, but I have seen a lot oh, about it. Oh, yeah. Ah, I believe it. Okay. So, I guess the last question. Do you believe that ancient alien races... And technologies are hiding among us. You want to believe, don't you? Yes. I, do. I want to believe. Um, no, I, I think of all the conspiracy theories out there, I think that's the most believable. Just because scientifically it's not disproven. Mm. Because we are... Because to say that no alien race exists to say that no life exists outside of our planet is ridiculous and not true so to say that no intelligent life exists anywhere else in the universe impossible right. you know like statistically it has to the question is did they find a way to travel like interdimensionally or through space and like come to earth who knows 
you know, like that's that I think that's one of those rare things that you you can ask a scientist and they would say, well, statistically it's possible. So we can't say no. Now if you were to say, hey, is there a ghost here? Like a scientist will say no. (laughs) Right, right. I I, (laughs) a little bit of a difference. I would agree. Um I was gonna go through all the gameplay changes, but we are actually running late on this episode. So instead we will look at the ending for the game and then we can laugh about it because it's uh hopefully this shows the indian ending so it's a one minute and 18 minute clip that i sent you mm-hmm. just the in cinematics i'm hoping this has everything that i want to show i'm already playing it so i don't know yeah i'm watching it way more higher quality here the cutscenes. Yeah, this definitely looks like a guy talking to a former president. It could have been anyone's but it was you. Huh. Looks like Sonic Adventure 2 now. It is. Actually, Sonic comes out. That's the ending. Is this the ending to Sonic Frontiers? Yes. The true ending this fall. Oh my god. So epic. It does look kind of cool. This is the best part of the game, by the way, so... (laughs) Kind of edited for Mario to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Bruh. It's a shame they didn't call the game series Portal. Literally, I don't know if you caught up to it yet when they showed the reveal. Yeah. It's uh, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington show up in, like, spacesuits. And they're like, we're here to help, dude. It, it just, to me, wow. this whole game is like a Republican's, like, wet dream. Like, oh, now we're going to hang out with conspiracy <laughs> theories. We're fighting aliens. The government's <laughs> against me. The founding fathers are coming. We're all gunned up. We have all our guns. We're ready to go. And I'm like, isn't High Voltage Studio like a Swedish studio? Like, it doesn't make any... Uh, how do you know America so well? <laughs> like, they, They're experts, it seems. So, uh, I, I will say that the game did go in, and they did fix a lot of stuff in the original game. Um, they actually let you now have objects that you could drop. Like uh, tables and and whatever you know stuff like that. They had armor pieces for enemies, so you could shoot off armor to get weak spots. So they thought about you know the variety, which is a good thing. Um, they also added a sprint, yeah. a sprint buttons, which every game should have. And some stages had vehicles with actual weapons to use. You could have loadout cut and you know things like that. The enemy AI was actually more lifelike, and that's this part is actually the best part. I think is what they did with the enemies. Yeah. So. They have convos, whatever, before before that you come and fight them so to make them feel more lifelike. They also move items so they can take cover. Um, they also change the behavior depending on the weapons they're holding. And the weapons they hold are randomized. So if they're holding a shotgun, they're going to try to come up to you and shoot you up close. If they have a rifle, they'll stay behind and cover to get you. I thought that was interesting. Their armor is also randomized. So it, you, it's never the same twice. Um, oh, nice. And um, they also had 23 enemy types as opposed to 14 in the first game. So they did add a lot more things to the game. 
And that's one thing that I think more games should take from this game is the idea of maybe making enemies fight a certain way depending on their maybe like a move set or something. Because I think like Sonic, I don't know, the new Sonic game, for example, if the enemies had like four or five different types of pattern, it would have made it feel a little different. Instead, of, mm. so like something like this one's easier because it's weapons, right? It's like a shotgun. You want to be close, right? So it makes sense. Um, outside of that, the game is actually uh, the game actually has more levels than anything mm. else. They really took fan feedback on the games feeling the same in the first game. So now this time you go to like the Amazon, China, England. And, it, and it's like six to eight hours compared to four to six hours from the original game. Still short for a, a first-person shooter, I would say. But it's a lot more, like, digestible than four hours, I would say. Like, four hours is really, right. really low. Um, yeah, boss battles kind of suck. So, but they did add boss battles. And um, they also had a multiplayer mode that got hacked. <laughs> I don't know. Do you play multiplayer modes in... Uh, I mean, we talked about this last time. We don't really play multiplayer modes, right, on Wii? Uh, online. I've never played a multiplayer game on Wii. Yeah, and that's the it's weird... too too in- annoying with the friend codes. Right. Remember in the forums, the old Segabits forums, we put our friend codes oh in, like, God. a topic? Have, has anybody... Does anybody even share their Switch friend codes? Like... I'm sure some people on Twitter, but, like, I'm, like, I don't even want to play online on that thing. I go out of my way to avoid multiplayer games on PlayStation and Nintendo platforms just because it's so easy on Xbox. Right. Because it's included in their in their game pass. Right. Like, I don't have to think about it. I actually have been rebuying a lot of multiplayer games I had on PS4 on Xbox now, like Ghostbusters and Team Sonic Racing. I'm like, if I want to play these, I can't. Sucks. Right, I, I don't play anything online. I think some people I added for uh, Animal Crossing, but I literally played that game for a month and stopped playing it. So they did have a, a, a rival system in here. So basically, if you were in the lobby, you'd be able to add them on your friends list, but they're not your friends; they're your rivals. I I, I do wonder if they did that because <laughs> uh, they're like, no, no Nintendo. I swear it's not the same. Um, but yeah, lots of gameplay fixes. But here's the issue, in my opinion. It really did feel like they listened to fan feedback where they're like, we want more guns, we want more of this, but they just kept on adding things, not thinking maybe we should fix the gameplay design and design better levels and make the shooting feel better, design like more cinematic moments. Instead, they're just like, we'll add a bunch of stuff, and that will make it better, but I guess not. Cause, uh, hmm. So... Advertising the game, Sega and High Voltage ran a, competi- a competition created with Nintendo that offered fans a chance to have their picture of their face on a wanted poster in Conduit 2. Entries would have to would be asked to write a tw- uh, at least a 25-word letter detailing what they wanted in the sequel. Again, fan feedback, right? That's kind of like their whole right, right. motto and how they advertised it with the community. So, outside of this, we got a launch trailer for the game to see. So, we could watch that now. I'll press play. I'll, I'll skip to the out after the Sega logo, the logos, and then we'll press play. Top six games. Wow. Must have been a slow year. 
Graphics look good for a Wii game, I would say. Yeah, yeah, but visually it just... Needs better art style. Look how buff he is. <laughs> well, like, with the name Conduit, oh. I get they were kind of trying to go for, like, portals. Almost. He's got an all-new suit, all-new look. I know. Booba. It's like the most generic female 90s character, or like 2000s character, but this is, this right here was diversity back then. Like, that, that girl character's design. <laughs> oh my god, she's like dying. Oh. He's been trying to kill me, I've been trying to kill him. It's sort of a thing we have. Best of luck to you and your little round friend. Uh, John Adams. I love the comments. Okay. Like, <laughs> Did that make you want to buy it? Um, well, I didn't buy it. <laughs> so, so it didn't work. It didn't work. All right. <laughs> Even though the game... The comments below are funny, though. Right. This person, I just wanted to say, this person says, I'm getting this with my next paycheck. It seems like they really put a lot of effort into this one, and the multiplayer looks nice. I really think High Voltage Software is working their butts off to make something good, and I'm supporting them. But really, High Voltage Software, releasing the same day as Portal 2, Mortal Kombat, and SOCOM... Man, this is a long time ago. Not only that, like I said, Nintendo fans were the ones really supporting it, as you can see by the icon here. But yeah, mm -hmm. pretty funny. Um, even though the game went in and fixed a lot of the issues presented in the first game, the game actually got a worse critical score than the first game. The Conduit had a 69% Metacritic. Nice. While the sequel holds a 64%. Not nice. Uh, Games Radar says... Sadly, aside from the sharp online Wii experience, Conduit 2 barely impresses, relying too much on generic drudgery and sad attempts to capture of magic of more popular titles. Worse yet, the storyline and characters seem aimless and forgettable. And I think that is the issue, right? You don't have memorable characters and you don't have a memorable storyline. The only thing right. you have is that you, you used conspiracy theories around your narrative but in a not creative way like literally just george washington and what's his name in spacesuits walking in the end that was your hook for the next game that's it um it, at least when you play like assassin's creed like when they use like history they have a fun twist on it that actually changes the world and your idea of this history and this one, I'm like, I don't think of George Washington as uh, coming in a spacesuit, dude. I, I just can't see it. I don't see John Adams being a villain. I don't know. It's weird. What do you think? Do you think the Founding Fathers would be villains if they came back? I mean, I guess just turn it into a fighting game where you play as Ooh, all the presidents. That would have been actually cooler. Tournament of, leg of American Legends. <laughs> anyway. Um... While the game had more, it also had new issues arising. Apparently one of the things I read was the game kept freezing Wii consoles. Uh, and it seemed that... Uh, and also, apparently High Voltage kind of knew this game was not the greatest when they were promoting it. Because literally a month after the game came out, or a few months after it came out, uh, Kevin Scheller from... High Voltage came out and said that the issues in development was the lack of focus on the game 
and the team making more exciting making we got more excited making good tech demos instead of actually working on the game so they were like that's why you see all these weird tech demos they always do like the grudge or oh did you know that the conduit 2 ran on the 3ds yeah aren't you supposed to be mm. working on the game for the wii why are you working on tech demos on the 3ds like they were always looking to pitch a new idea to uh potential publishers it seemed like Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they don't have big publishing deals anymore like they did back then with Sega because I feel like their goodwill ran out and now they're just kind of like a weird, I don't know, like they're doing Fortnite storylines, like helping doing Fortnite stuff. I mean, they they have work, but it's not, I'm launching my own IP kind of uh, exciting, you know what I mean? They should do a um, conduit event in Fortnite. And add because if we're getting Mr. Beast as a playable character, why aren't we getting uh, Mr. Beast? You talking Abraham about the in a spacesuit? Yeah, he's going to be in Fortnite. I can't wait to collect him. I already got Travis Scott and my Hadouken and my Dragon Ball Z Kamehameha. Wow! Oh, hey, High Voltage Software is in uh, Hoffman Estates. They're near me. That's like right near me. Go hang out with. Go in. Talk to them about conspiracy theories. I days. should. They're still around. High voltage? Huh. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Like I said, they... I'll go drive by their headquarters. Film yourself talking about conspiracy theories. Maybe get a... a we could do a podcast with them doing a conspiracy theories. We'll... Top 10. Yeah. Top 10 conspiracy theories of all time. They're hiring right now. Not not for anything I do, but... but... For people that... See, they're hiring. That's a good sign. Especially in this economy. So... Wow. Anything else you want to say about Conduit 2, not The Conduit 2? <laughs> um, you know, I, I sounded really down on it throughout the episode, but I would say it's one of their better efforts. I think it was more exciting than uh, the fighting game that right. they put out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, not, not all of the games we talk about can be winners, um, but... Yeah, if you, if you want this one, it's going to cost you a little bit more. I checked, and it's um, going between forty and sixty on eBay, whereas the first game's only like ten to fifteen bucks. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe they made fewer. <laughs> maybe they made fewer episodes or or fewer um, games or something. But um, yeah, now I'm now I'm thinking of just driving over to the to their. Studio? They're forty minutes away from me. Yeah. I will say this... I was actually up there. I was up there, yes, or two days ago. I was near there. If you do go over there... I mean, you should be in contact with them to get that 3DS demo out there, like actual good footage of it, because literally there is nothing out there outside of that Destructoid uh, interview, and it's really bad footage, and it's like two minutes and like ten seconds, like... 30 seconds is the interview of their faces and then that and then 10 seconds of that girl so that's like half the video is just like people instead of the actual game so yeah 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 um outside of that they never the first game did get a port to android phones this one did not get a port mobile port so this is a wii exclusive forever most likely unless they randomly port it to pc which i don't think is going to happen so I think this closes the chapter on the Conduit Saga. 
Do we have any memories to read in the end? No, no mm. one remember. No one has any memories, unfortunately. Oh. What? What's? Um, but it, tell them about the next game we're going to cover, and hopefully more memories. Pour well, in. the next game I won't reveal it because you shouldn't open your Christmas presents oh. early. But it will be a, it'll be a weird one. Uh, it'll be a Christmas themed one. Um, and I will say, you know, this isn't the end of high voltage software. We someone could tell us to cover Captain America Super Soldier. Which they did the Wii version though. I mean, we're gonna be talking about the yeah. PS3 most likely. Sorry, but yeah, I guess we'll mention. Uh, unless it. someone picks the Wii one specifically, oh, but, don't do um, it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, this is unreal. I, I had no idea they were so close. Like I could visit them. You could have lunch with them. It's amazing. <laughs> and tell them not to listen to this episode. Please don't. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. It's gonna drop publicly on Christmas, but you get a week early. And also, there's going to be a uh, fastest food alive video dropping every day until Christmas starting the 14th. Whoa. So you can look forward to that on YouTube. So yeah, lots of fun stuff coming up. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Sega Talk. Bye. Bye. They put their phone number on here too. I could call them. <laughs>